Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope that it's encouraging and helpful to you no matter where you are on your journey of faith. We at Hope Church want everyone to have a chance to experience the rich love of Jesus. We are inclusive and affirming towards everyone. And if you're looking for a place to experience a caring Christian community, we would love to have you to visit. You can go to hopechurchrc.org to connect with us. Thanks again for listening. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 8 today, looking at verses 31 through 37. And uh, we're talking about um, priorities. Uh, Sometimes we uh, come to our faith journey, um, the beginning of it, or, or different parts along the way, and we might have different expectations of it, different expectations of God or about church, and it's often fed by the way we were, the way we grew up. Uh, if you have if you had parents who, you know, uh, took you to church or practiced faith in some way, uh, they taught you about God either through directly the things that they said or just kind of the way that they acted. Maybe you had uh, somebody who was particularly. Um, uh, special to you when you were a kid growing up. Uh, I think I may have mentioned before I had a Sunday school teacher when I was probably about 10, 10 or 11. Uh, his name was John Hoppler, and uh, he passed away uh, back before Christmas, and I was able to be part of his funeral. He was really special to me, right? Um, he helped me to learn a lot about God and about God's love and His grace. Um, and, and most of us have some sort of expectations, about God, about church, about faith in general. Uh, we may expect God to bless certain people or certain actions, and we may expect God to punish or judge certain people or certain actions. Again, a lot of it is based off of our interpretation of certain parts of the Bible and, and how we were kind of raised up and taught about that. And so our expectations of God lead us to expectations about the church what it should or should not look like, how that should inform what we do here each week. There are churches that worship in lots of various ways. Some are very formal, where you stand and say certain things at certain times. There's often a component of interaction where uh, the the pastor may read something or the speaker may read something and the, the people may repeat something back to them, right? Responsive reading. Uh, there may be, there are churches that worship without music. They don't believe that music, uh, the accompaniment, is um, necessarily biblical, right? And, you know, they have their own interpretations of, of that sort of stuff, uh, so they do a lot of stuff a cappella. Uh, two weeks ago, we were invited to join our brothers and sisters at the Presbyterian Church, and we witnessed a, a, a service that was quite different than what we're used to. Um, it was much more formal there was a there was a bulletin with like a almost like a program and you had to kind of follow along you had to pay attention and uh certain times you would stand and you would sing this or you would say that but it was really wonderful service although it was just different the people were really nice there was no uh um there was no projector though there was no screen with words on it um there there was a program uh, sometimes we would recite a prayer the pastor would say something, and we would say something back. Uh, we quoted the Apostles' Creed, which if, if you don't know it, it was in the their little hymnal page, something that had, then they had that in there. It was really good, but in some ways it felt a little strange just because it wasn't what I was used to, right? It didn't line up to 
maybe some of my expectations for church or what I had come to know as my traditions for church. But I really enjoyed it, right? It wasn't like bad, just different. And that's good sometimes. And sometimes in our faith journey, we may prioritize certain attributes of church, especially when it comes to the weekly gathering. What's the music like? Is it traditional? Is it contemporary? Is it a mixture of both? Is it something altogether different? What's the, what are the facilities like? You have a big church. There are a lot of people. Um, is, are there, is there signage and it's clearly marked and you know where to go to the restroom? You know which door to go into? Or do people just kind of know and you end up wandering around the church and try and lock doors until you find one that's not locked, right? Um, will I be forced to shake somebody's hand or to interact with other people during a time of fellowship? How long does a preacher preach? There are all these sorts of things that we have questions about. And all these things are, are wonderful for some people. Like they want to, uh, a, a big church with a lot of people, or they want to have a fellowship time where they're forced to kind of interact with somebody. I see some of you looking at each other like, man, I'm glad we don't really do that. And so right now I'd like everybody to stand up and just shake somebody and say, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> somebody's like, I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. No, um, <laughs> some people like that sort of stuff, right? Um, some people like the more formal, some people like a more laid back approach. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why there are so many different denominations, not just because of the, the basics of their theology, right? We all believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that his uh, death and resurrection provides uh, uh, sanctification and justification with God. But then we also have preferences for how we express those things, right? And so, you know, that's what makes a Presbyterian service different from what we do, right? Uh, and some of those things are not so wonderful for people. Oh, that preacher preached too long. We, we was way after 12 o'clock by the time we got out of there. We had to fight for a spot at the Golden Corral. We, it was just, it was just bad, right? Um, but there's no perfect gathering of people because there are no perfect people, right? And it's not a bad thing to prioritize certain aspects of our faith, of how we express that faith together in community. And we can use those priorities to help guide us. I know for me, I spend more time throughout the week thinking about this, this aspect right here, uh, where I'm speaking to you, thinking about and praying about these words. Um, I spend more time thinking, thinking and working on this than I do any other part of what we do on Sundays. The, the guitar playing, the singing, that's a Saturday night thing. I just go through it and make sure I know the songs. And if I don't know the songs, I'm texting Sarah, hey, can we just do videos this week? Because I don't think I can play these. Happens a lot during Christmas. Um, it's not that this is the very most important thing that we do each week, but it's the most stressful for me, and I want to make sure that I do it well. So I prioritize it. Ultimately, I think, to me, the most important thing that we do each week happens after we say the last amen. I think of it as kind of a church after church where we stand around and talk and try not to get hit by basketballs. And I look forward to that as much as I do anything. But in our passage this week, we see two people who we love dearly and who we know love one another who have slightly different priorities. And it leads to an argument uh, of, of sorts and some strong words, but it's a reminder for us of the priority of the Christian life. It's not about the sermon. It's not about the music. It's about Christ's love 
for us and how we express that love to one another. Jesus' death and resurrection are central to our faith. And that's kind of what the dispute is about in this passage this week. That the truth of His death and resurrection leads us to prioritize the things that He prioritized. When we put those things into practice, it can be difficult because it might go against the grain of our own expectations or our own beliefs or our culture. But part of being a disciple of Christ is to reprioritize wherever we need to in order to make God's love the utmost importance in our lives. Let's read Mark chapter 8, 31-37 and see what we can learn about expectations and priorities this week. Then He began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this passage in Mark, Jesus reveals for the first time that he will be killed. Now this whole time in his ministry, he's been going around doing things, helping people, and announcing his grand new kingdom that he is beginning, that he is bringing into existence. And as we stand here in 2024, around 2,000 years after this has taken place, it's so easy to look at this whole context and not be surprised that Jesus said he was going to be killed. Yeah, of course, Jesus, we knew from the opening of Mark chapter 1 that you would go and you would be killed, you would be crucified, you would be in a tomb for three days and you would raise again and you would appear to other people and then you would reascend back into heaven. And that's kind of how the church starts and that's where we are today. Yeah, we know this. But put yourself in the place of Jesus' disciples. This rabbi who's going around, this teacher who's going around doing great things, calling himself the Son of Man, equating himself with some prophetic words, the Messiah is me. I'm Him. And now this Messiah is going around and saying things that seem contradictory to what your idea of a Messiah should be. His words are not living up to your expectations. It's not hard to see how this news of Jesus' death would have been unexpected and not received well especially by Peter. Now, I love Peter because I relate to him so much because we look, we look at him so much like, a, like he's a big oaf. Right? It's this kind of lovable big guy who gets it right sometimes, but who often gets it wrong. Maybe he can say some foolish things. He's like that 90s sitcom dad stereotype that we all love. He's charming. He's funny. He's a little dumb. And that's kind of part why that's one of the reasons that we love him. Right, um, and, and I look at that as a dad and be like, "Yeah, man, I hope that I'm not 
as bad as that. And I've been guilty of talking about Peter in this way at times. But when you look a little bit closer, it's not hard to see how Peter could have gotten whiplash and been surprised by what Jesus said. We don't know what Peter said to Jesus, but it says that Peter rebuked him. That's a strong word. Jesus, you should not be saying these things. I thought we were going to bring about this new kingdom that you, be, that you keep talking about. And just three verses ago, you told us not to tell anybody that you were the Messiah. And it wasn't that Peter didn't know. Peter was the first one to identify him as the Messiah. And now, Jesus, after telling us not to tell anybody, you're announcing it to everybody. I just don't understand. And you talk about being killed. How can we introduce this new kingdom if you die? It's easy to get mixed up, especially when we have a tendency to rely on our own thoughts and not the thoughts of God. And I think that's what happened with Peter here. Because Jesus tells him, you're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. God's not concerned with an earthly kingdom. He's building something much bigger and much better. But I feel a little bad for Peter because he knew what a horrible place they lived in. He knew how bad his life was for himself and for his fellow Israelites at that time under the Roman Empire. He had likely seen the, the rows of crosses lined up, criminals being crucified, agonizing for days on end until they finally succumbed to death. He had been a victim of the colonization of Rome who treated their non-citizens poorly. And you know, Rome also talked a lot about giving up your life for the empire. It's not a long jump from what Rome is saying to what Jesus is saying. And Peter may have said, Jesus, are you just like them? I didn't think it was like that. But Jesus wasn't talking about a kingdom like the Roman Empire that killed and enslaved people in order to gain power. Jesus' kingdom is exactly upside down from that. It's a kingdom that sets enslaved people free. It's a kingdom where the citizens give up their power in order to serve others. And Jesus goes on to say that in His kingdom we deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow Him. There's been a lot of words said about what that looks like. Here's kind of my take on it. What does that look like for us today? Denying ourselves is an act of realizing that the life of a Christ follower is not about us. If we follow Christ, my life is not mine any longer. It belongs to Him, and He's asked me to do these things. And this is probably the hardest part of the journey, because a large part of our human history has been devoted to survival. In the long span of time, we're still a very young species, and the old fight, flight, or freeze reflexes are still hard-coded into our system. We have an innate desire to take from others, to use to our advantage, to take actions that help us at the expense of others, because I need to survive. It's part of being human. But Jesus is capable and willing to help us change our humanity into something much better. He invites us into a kingdom that is centered on others and not ourselves. We give of our time, our resources, ourselves. Not so that we can be forgiven. We don't do these things to gain acceptance. We do them because we already have it. God's not interested in my works for the sake of themselves. He's interested in my life sharing the divine love that He has for me 
to others that don't know yet or that need a fresh experience of it. We don't deny ourselves so that we gain heaven. We deny ourselves because we already have it. It's a motivation to do the right thing. When we more fully realize all that Jesus has done for us through His death, burial, and resurrection, we're much more willing to open our hearts and open our minds, open our lives to others who are in need. And we do things for others, often at the expense of ourselves. It's exactly upside down. We don't give in order to get. We give because we already have. And putting that denial into action is taking up our cross. Now listen, we can never even be close to where Jesus is. We can never fully compare our lives to His own, especially in regards to what He endured, but we're still called to sacrifice. We give of ourselves. We may donate to help somebody in need. We may give of our time, our resources, maybe some physical possessions that you might have, whatever it is that God might be calling you to do. And it's different at different times of your life. I heard a bit of a story this week of uh, there was a Christian singer, Keith Green, back in the 70s. He wrote uh, the most famous song that I know that he wrote, and he wrote many, many songs, is uh, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. And it's it's a beautiful song. Uh, but Keith Green, he um, he felt called to open up his home to homeless people. And he took many homeless people into his home uh, back in the 70s. Uh, that's how convinced he was of the songs that he wrote and the love that he had found. He bore his cross in that way, and he helped many people. Now, I don't know that Jesus is asking us to open our homes to a random stranger, but maybe he is. I don't know that it's in my house right now just because we have four kids and have to take security concerns into, into, into uh, consideration, but maybe one day, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to whatever he has for us, right? And there are certainly other ways to support those who are homeless, but no matter what you may feel led to think or do, putting our faith into action is vital in the kingdom of God. And in this upside-down kingdom, we do good, again, not because we want to gain anything, but because we already have possession of it. We gain where we give up so that others can find love. We give our life so that other people can find life. If Jesus, I'm sorry, in Jesus there's real, abundant life. It's not a rigid list of do's and don'ts or expectations that are impossible to meet. It's a life of grace and hope and love, and we're called to extend the grace, hope, and love that we have found out into the world around us. Are we willing to give up our lives to find it? Are we willing to seek to overcome our own primal desires to survive and to find what Jesus has for us? Each week we give over a large majority of our time and energy to others. We work for ourselves or for an organization so that we can afford to eat, have a home, have, have what we need to survive, and maybe a little more. And that's honorable and necessary. But it's worth nothing in comparison to knowing the great love of Jesus. Jesus asks, what good is it? In verse 36, if we gain the whole world, if we have billions of dollars in net worth, if we own global corporations, or maybe even we just have enough to survive in the place where we are, plus a little more. 
and that's our world, and it may feel like we are rich. What good is it to gain everything you could even want or even need, but then lose your soul? What good is it if we miss out on our place in the loving kingdom of God? We can't give anything to secure it. We can't do anything to earn it. It's already been earned and secured by Jesus. It's a free gift, and our only part is to put our faith in Him and allow Him to change us and help us to see the opportunities to put His love into action. So this week, the question is, for you, for me, how are you going to participate in this kingdom? How are you going to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What might it look like? What kind of opportunities might you have? And what will you do when you find them? And there's a thousand different ways that that could play out in our lives. It could look, it could look like something very small, like extending grace to a child who is acting out of control right now. It could look like helping someone with a, with a bill, with a resource, or just being there for somebody who's having a tough time. There's a thousand different ways again. But whatever that is, part of what we should be doing is looking for those opportunities and being willing to act when we find them. And the wonderful thing is, no matter how big it might seem or how impossible it might seem to give up our time or give up ourselves, God, I've already given so much. My work is crazy. I just don't have the time. God says, I will be with you. I will help you do it. I've not asked you to do anything. I'm not willing to help you do myself. No matter what the call is, we're called to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Him. If you're here today and you need prayer for any of that, maybe you know of a, of a, a situation that seems very desperate, that seems impossible, and you don't know what you're going to do. God can help you with that. We can bring it to Him in prayer today. Maybe you need to pray about just uh, where you are in God's kingdom. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you know that you've never repented and placed your faith in Jesus and you want to talk about that or you need to be baptized or, or, or anything. Whatever God may be bringing to your heart today and, and you would like to pray about it, you know, I'm able to, I would love to pray with you about it. You can pray right where you are and I would encourage you that whatever God might be calling you to do today, that you would go to Him in prayer about it. As we sing our final song, um, bring your worries and your, and your concerns to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for the state You've given us. I pray You'd help us to uh, find ways and, and seek out the ways that You are giving us to uh, to take up our cross and to follow You this week. Help us to renew our faith in Jesus as we need to and to draw close to you. Give us the strength to do what you've asked us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.